section forty four masterpieces of negro eloquence edited by alice dunbar nelson this librivox recording is in the public domain the life of social service as exemplified in david livingstone by alice moore dunbar hamilton wright maybe says that the question for each man to settle is not what he would do if he had means time influence and educational advantages but what he will do with the things he has in all history there are few men who have answered this question among them none have answered it more effectively than he whom we have gathered to honor to-night david livingstone the term social service which is on every one's lips now was as yet uncoined when david livingstone was born but it was none the less true that without overmuch prating of the ideal which is held up to the man of to-day as the only one worth striving for the sturdy pioneers of livingstone's day and ilk realized to the highest the ideal of man's duty to his fellow-man the life of david livingstone is familiar to all of you from your childhood you have known the brief data of his days he was born in lanarkshire scotland march nineteen eighteen thirteen he began working in a cotton factory at the age of ten and for ten years thence educated himself reading latin greek and finally pursuing a course of medicine and theology in which he graduated in eighteen forty firmly believing in his call he offered his services to the london missionary society by whom he was ordained and sent as a medical missionary to south africa where he commenced his labors in eighteen forty nine he discovered lake nagami in eighteen fifty two he explored the zambezi river in eighteen fifty six he discovered the wonderful victoria falls and then returned to england where he was overwhelmed with honors in eighteen fifty seven he published his first book hardly realizing that it was an epoch-making volume and that he had made an unprecedented contribution alike to literature science and religion in the same year he severed his connection with the missionary society believing that he could best work unhampered by its restrictions he was appointed british consul for the east coast of africa and commander of an expedition to explore eastern and central africa he discovered lakes sherwa and nyasa in eighteen fifty nine published his second book during a visit to england eighteen sixty four to sixty five he returned to africa started to explore the interior and was lost to the world for two years he reappeared in eighteen sixty seven having solved the problem of the sources of the nile from then until eighteen seventy one when he was found by stanley suffering the most pitiful privations his was a record of important discoveries and explorations after parting with stanley in eighteen seventy two he continued his explorations and died in eighteen seventy three his body was interred in westminster abbey in eighteen seventy four this is a meagre account of the life of david livingstone the romance and wonder of it do not appear on the surface the splendor of the heroic soul is lost in the dry 
chronology of dates the marvellous achievement of self-sacrifice is not visible yet the wildest fantasies of mediaeval troubadours pale into insignificance when placed side by side with the life-story of david livingstone what has this modern romance in it for the man of to-day an infinity of example of hope of the gleam to follow the most salient thing about livingstone's early life is the toil and the privation which he endured gladly in order to accomplish that which he had set himself to do listen to his own words in describing the long hours spent in the cotton mill here he kept up his studies by placing his book on the top of the machine so that he could catch sentence after sentence as he passed his work learning how completely to abstract his mind from the noises about him looking back now on that life of toil i cannot but feel thankful that it formed such a material part of my early education and were it possible i would like to begin life over again in the same lowly style and to pass through the same hardy training i wonder how many of the modern men whose privations in early life in no wise approached those of our hero look back with gratitude upon their early days are we not prone to excuse and condone our shortcomings either of character or of achievement by murmuring at the hard fate which deprived us of those advantages which more fortunate brothers and sisters enjoyed in infancy and youth do we not to-day swing too far in the direction of sickly sentimentality and incline to wrap ourselves and those about us in the deadening cotton wool of too much care were it not better if a bit more of the leaven of sturdy struggle were introduced into the life of the present-day youth strength of character and strength of soul will rise to their own no matter what the struggles be to force them upward in keeping with this studious concentration which is shown in his work in the cotton mill was livingstone's ideal of thorough preparation for his work on his first missionary journey before penetrating into the interior he stopped at a little station lepolo and there for six months cut himself off from all european society in order to gain an insight into the habits ways of thinking laws and language of the natives to this he ascribed most of his success as a missionary and explorer for livingstone's way was ever the gentle method of those who comprehend not the harsh cruelty of those who feel superior to the ones among whom they work in a day whose superficiality is only equalled by the ease with which we gloze over the faults of the unprepared this bit of information of livingstone's preparation comes like a refreshing reminder that true worth is always worth while when livingstone gave up his purely missionary labours and turned his life channel into the stream of scientific investigation the same thoroughness of preparation is shown he did not work for immediate results attained by shallow touching of the surface or for hasty conclusions his was the close observation and careful and accurate deductions of the mind trained by science to be patient and await results rather than be inaccurate he would wait until he knew he was correct a quarter of a century after livingstone died a compatriot of his robert louis stevenson said that among the hardest tasks that life sets for a man 
is to await occasions and hurry never livingstone learned this thoroughly in keeping with the quietness simplicity and thoroughness of this truly great man was the meeting between him and stanley when that redoubtable youth found him in the heart of the dark continent life is essentially a dramatic thing for as carlyle says is not every deathbed the fifth act of a tragedy but i sometimes think that we miss the drama and poetry of everyday life because it seems so commonplace we look abroad and afar for great moments and great moments pass unheeded each hour so to those two the toil-worn and weary explorer and the youthful stanley full of enthusiasm albeit dimmed by the hardships and disappointments of his long search that moment of first meeting must have seemed essentially commonplace there was a wonder in the encounter but like all great emotions and great occasions there was a simplicity so that the greetings were as commonplace as if occurring in a crowded street thirty years had passed since the explorer had dedicated himself to the task of making the world know africa and he was an old man worn out bent frail and sorrow-stricken but courage was unfaltering faith undimmed power unabated had stanley been a few months later much of his work would have been lost and his death even more pitiful than it was yet he could smile and be patient and unhurried as stanley phrases it suppose livingstone following the custom of other travellers had hurried to the coast after he had discovered lake banguiolo to tell the news to the geographical world then had returned to discover morero and run away again then come back once more to discover camelando and to race back again but no he not only discovers the chambezi lake banguiolo luapula river lake moero lualaba river and lake camolando but he still tirelessly urges his steps forward to put the final completion to the map of the grand lacustrine river system had he followed the example of ordinary explorers he would have been running backwards and forwards to tell the news instead of exploring and he might have been able to write a volume upon the discovery of each lake and earn much money thereby this was no negative exploration it was the hard earnest labour of years self-abnegation enduring patience and exalted fortitude such as ordinary men fail to exhibit and he had achieved a wonderful deed the finding of the poles north and south is no greater feat than his for after all what is it to humanity that the magnetic pole north or south is a few degrees east or west of a certain point in the frozen seas and barren ice mountains what can humanity offer as a reward to those whose bodies lie under cairns of ice save a barren recognition of their heroism what have their lives served beyond that of examples of heroism and determination bronze tablets will record their deeds but no races will arise in future years to call them blessed cold marble will enshrine their memory but there will be no fair commerce nor civilization nor the thankful prayers of those who have been led to know god in his earlier years of exploration livingstone became convinced that the success of the white missionary 
in a field like africa is not to be reckoned by the tale of doubtful conversions he can send home each year that the proper work of such men was that of pioneering opening up starting new ground leaving native agents to work it out in detail the whole of his subsequent career was a carrying out of this idea it was the idea of commerce bringing the virgin country within the reach of the world putting the natives in that relation to the rest of humanity which would most nearly make for their efficiency if not in their own generation at least in the next shall we not say that this is the truest ideal of social service to plan not for the present but for the future to be content not with the barren achievement of exploration the satisfaction that comes with the saying i'm the first who has trod this soil but to be able to say through me generations may be helped says a biographer of dr livingstone his work in exploration is marked by rare precision and by a breadth of observation which will make it forever a monument to the name of one of the most intrepid travellers of the nineteenth century his activity embraced the field of the geographer naturalist benefactor of mankind and it can justly be said that his labours were the first to lift the veil from the dark continent during the thirty years of his work he explored alone over one-third of the vast continent a feat which no single explorer has ever equalled but it must be remembered that even though he had severed his connection with the missionary society that he regarded himself to the last as a pioneer missionary one of the most fascinating subjects of controversy since the time of herodotus was the problem of the source of the nile poetry from the description of the garden of eden and the writings of ptolemy to the kublai khan of coleridge ran rife over the four fountains out of which flowed the wonderful river to livingstone was reserved the supreme honour of settling for all time the secret of this most poetic river of mystery long ere this he had been honoured with a gold medal from the royal geographical society how futile must the bit of metal have seemed to this dark silent man whose mind had grown away from bauble and tinsel and who had learned in the silences the real value of the trinkets of the world when he had discovered the victoria falls he had completed in two years and a half the most remarkable and most fruitful journey on record reconstructed the map of africa and given the world some of the most valuable land it ever could possess the vast commercial fields of ivory were opened up to trade the magnificent power of the victoria falls laid bare to the sight of civilized man we can imagine him standing on the brink of the thunderous cataract of the victoria gazing at its waters as they dashed and roared over the brink of the precipice like stout cortez when with eagle eyes he stared at the pacific and all his men looked at each other with a wild surmise silent upon a peak in darien to this man who had opened up a continent who had penetrated not only into the heart of the forest but had made himself one with the savages who were its denizens who knew and understood them as human beings and not as beasts the slavery trade was as he expressed it the open sore of africa over and again he voiced his belief that the negro freeman was a hundred times more valuable than the slave he repeatedly enjoined those who had the fitting out of his expeditions not to send him slaves to accompany him on his journeys but free men as they were more trustworthy 
he voiced the fundamental truth that he who is his own master is he who obeys and believes in his master the slave trade in africa was dealt its death-blow by dr livingstone portugal had foisted the shame of centuries upon the dark continent and openly defied decency and honour livingstone's example and his death acted like an inspiration filling africa with an army of explorers and missionaries and raising in europe so powerful a feeling against the slave trade that it may be considered as having received its death-blow dear to his heart was lincoln the emancipator an ideal hero whom he consistently revered away to the southwest from camolondo is a large lake which discharges its waters by the important river lamami into the great Lualaba. to this lake known as the chobungo by the natives dr livingstone gave the name of lincoln in memory of him for whom your noble institution was named this was done because of a vivid impression produced on his mind by hearing a portion of lincoln's inauguration speech from an english pulpit which related to the causes that induced him to issue the emancipation proclamation to the memory of the man whom livingstone revered he has contributed a monument more durable than brass or stone this strange seemingly almost ascetic man sets before us of to-day an almost impossible standard of living one idea mastered him to give africa to the world his life was a success as all lives must be which have a single aim life was clear elemental almost to him and to the man whose ambition is a unit who sees but one goal shining clearly ahead success is inevitable though it may be masked under the guise of poverty and hardship livingstone had a higher and nobler ambition than the mere pecuniary sum he might receive or the plaudits of the unthinking multitude he followed the dictates of duty never was such a willing slave to that abstract virtue his inclination impelled him home the fascinations of which it required the sternest resolves to resist with every foot of new ground he travelled over he forged a chain of sympathy which should hereafter bind all other nations to africa if he were able to complete this chain a chain of love by actual discovery and description of the people and nations that still lived in darkness so as to attract the good and charitable of his own land to bestir themselves for their redemption and salvation this livingstone would consider an ample reward a delirious and fatuous enterprise a quixotic scheme some will say not so he builded better than even he knew or dared hope and posterity will reap the reward the missionary starting out must resolve to bear poverty suffering hardship and if need be to lose his life the explorer must resolve to be impervious to exquisite little tortures to forget comforts and be a stranger to luxuries to lose his life even in order that the world may add another line or dot to its maps the explorer missionary must do all these things and add to them the zeal for others that shall illumine his labours and make him at one with god david livingstone had all these qualities coupled with the sublime indifference of the truly great to the mere side issues of life you and i sit down to our comfortable meals sleep in our well-appointed beds read our bibles with perfunctory boredom and babble an occasional prayer for those who endure hardships when we are reminded from the pulpit to do so when we read of some awful calamity such as has blazoned across the pages of history within the past few weeks we shudder that men should lay down their lives in the barren wastes of ice 
when we read of the thirty years of steady suffering which livingstone endured in the forests of africa the littleness of our own lives comes home to us with awful realization you who fear to walk the streets with a coat of last year's cut listen to his half-whimsical account of how he came to the cape in eighteen fifty two with a black coat eleven years out of fashion and mrs livingstone and the children half naked you who shudder at the tale of a starving child in the papers and lamely wonder why the law allows such things read his recital of the sufferings of his wife and little ones during the days without water under a tropic sun and of the splendid heroism of the mother who did not complain and the father who did not dare meet her eye for fear of the unspoken reproach therein he was never in sufficient funds and what little means he could gather here and there were often stolen from him or he found himself cheated out of what few supplies he could get together to carry on his travels months of delay occurred and sometimes it seemed that all his labours and struggles would end in futility that the world would be little better for his sufferings yet that patient christian fortitude sustained him with unfaltering courage through the most distressing experiences disease weakening piteous unromantic unheroic wasted his form ulcers sores horrible and hideous made his progress slow and his work sometimes a painful struggle over what many a man would have deemed impossible barriers the loss of his wife came to him twelve years after she had elected to cast in her lot with his but like brutus of old he could exclaim with meditating that she must die once i have the patience to endure it now stanley could but marvel at such patience on that memorable day when they met and the younger man gave the doctor his letters he tells how livingstone kept the letter-bag on his knee then presently opened it looked at the letters contained there read one or two of his children's letters his face in the meanwhile lighting up he asked me to tell him the news no doctor said i read your letters first which i am sure you must be impatient to read ah said he i have waited years for letters and i have been taught patience to you of the younger generation what a marvel what a world of meaning in those words i have been taught patience we who fret and chafe because the whole world will not bend its will to our puny strivings and turn its whole course that we might have our unripe desires fulfilled should read and reread of the man who could wait because he knew that time and all eternity would be bent to meet his desires in time livingstone's is a character that we cannot help but venerate that calls forth all one's enthusiasm that evokes nothing but sincerest admiration he was sensitive but so is any man of a high mind and generous nature he was sensitive on the point of being doubted or criticised by the easy-chair geographers lolling comfortably in their clubs and scanning through their monocles the maps which the hard-working travellers had made he was humble-souled as are all the truly great his gentleness never forsook him his hopefulness never deserted him no harassing anxiety distraction of mind long separation from home and kindred could make him complain he thought all would come out right at last such faith had he in the goodness of providence the sport of adverse circumstances the plaything of the miserable slaves which were persistently sent him from zanzibar baffled and worried even almost to the grave yet he would not desert the charge imposed upon him to the stern dictates of duty alone did he sacrifice his home and ease the pleasures refinements and luxuries of civilized life his was the spartan heroism the inflexibility of the roman the enduring heroism of the englishman never to relinquish his work 
though his heart yearned for home never to surrender his obligations until he could write fini to his work yet who shall say that the years spent alone at the very heart of nature had not made him the possessor of that inward eye which as wordsworth says is the bliss of solitude for many years he lived in africa deprived of books and yet when stanley found him he learned to his surprise that livingstone could still recite whole poems from byron burns tennyson longfellow and other great poets the reason is found in the fact that all his life he lived within himself he lived in a world in which he revolved inwardly out of which he awoke only to attend to his immediate practical necessities it was a happy inner world peopled with his own friends acquaintances relatives readings ideas and associations blessed is the man who has found the inner life more real than the trivial outer one to him mere external annoyances are but as the little insects which he may brush away at will no man can be truly great who has not built up for himself a subjective world into which he may retire at will the little child absorbed in a mythical land peopled by fairies and prince charmings is nearest to possessing such an inner life and we must become as little children to some it is a god-given gift others may acquire it as jack london tells us by going into the waste places and there sitting down with our souls there comes then the overwhelming realization of the charms and beauties of nature man is a pygmy an abstraction an unreality this had come to our hero added to the strength of his inner life livingstone had the deep sympathy with nature in all her moods he became enthusiastic when he described the beauties of the morero scenery the splendid mountains tropical vegetation thundering cataracts noble rivers stirred his soul into poetic expression his tired spirit expended in the presence of the charms of nature he could never pass through an african forest with its solemn stillness and serenity without wishing to be buried quietly under the dead leaves where he would be sure to rest undisturbed in england there was no elbow-room the graves were often desecrated and ever since he had buried his wife in the woods of Shupanga, he had sighed for just such a spot where his weary bones would receive the eternal rest they coveted but even this last wish was denied him and the noisy honours and crowded crypt of westminster abbey claimed him far away from the splendid solitude he craved all africa should have been his tomb he should never have been forced to share with hundreds of others a meagre and scant resting-place yet there is food for rejoicing in the knowledge that though his body was borne away his heart was buried by his beloved natives in the forest the study of dr livingstone would not be even superficially complete if we did not take the religious side of his character into consideration by religion we do not mean the faith he professed the particular tenets he believed the special catechism he studied or any hair-splitting doctrine he might have upheld but that deeper ethical side of manhood without which there can be no true manhood livingstone's religion was not of the theoretical kind but it was a constant earnest sincere practice it was neither demonstrative nor loud but manifested itself in a quiet practical way and was always at work it was not aggressive nor troublesome nor impertinent in him religion exhibited its loveliest features it governed his conduct not only towards his servants but towards the natives the bigoted mohammedans and all with whom he came in contact without it livingstone with his ardent temperament his enthusiasm his high spirit and courage must have become uncompanionable 
and a hard master religion had tamed him and made him a christian gentleman the crude and wilful were refined and subdued religion had made him the most companionable of men and indulgent of masters a man whose society was pleasurable to a high degree if his life held for us no other message than this it would hold enough unfortunately the youth of to-day is apt to chafe when the ideal of christianity and manly religion is held up to him he thinks of the religious man as a milksop a mollycoddle he cannot associate him in his mind with the doing of great deeds the thinking of great thoughts his ideal of manhood is the ruthless man on horseback with too often a disregard of the sacred things of life sometimes if the youth of to-day thinks at all he runs riot into ethics forgetting that after all there could be no ethics without a firm base of religion and so he wastes many precious years before he learns that all the greatest men whom the world has known drew their strength and power from the unseen and the spiritual we have noticed that livingstone's religion was not aggressive nor impertinent early in his career as a missionary he recognized the truth that if he were to exercise any influence on the native africans it would not be by bringing to them an abstraction in place of their own savage ideas his influence depended entirely upon persuasion and by awakening within their minds the sense of right and wrong we never wish them to do right he says because it would be pleasing to us nor think themselves to blame when they did wrong worldly affairs and temporal benefits with the natives were paramount so he did not force abstractions upon them but with a keen insight into human nature as well as into savage human nature he reached their higher selves through the more worldly his was a pure and tender-hearted nature full of humanity and sympathy modest as a maiden unconscious of his own greatness with the simplicity we have noted before the simplicity of the truly great his soul could be touched to its depths by the atrocities of the arab slave-traders yet he forgot his own sufferings in the desire to make others immune from suffering he had but one rule of life that which he gave to the scotch school-children whom he once addressed fear god and work hard it is one hundred years since this quiet high-souled man was given the world in the little scotch village and yet another hundred may pass away and still his life will be as a clarion call to the youth of the world to emulate his manhood for the world needs men now as it never needed them before men high-minded men with powers as far above dull brutes endued in forest break or den as beasts excel cold rocks and rambles rude such a man was livingstone not afraid to be meek in order to be great not afraid to fear god and work hard not ashamed to stoop in order that he might raise others to his high estate he gave the world a continent and a conscience with the lavishness almost of nature herself he bestowed cataracts and rivers lakes and mountains forests and valleys upon his native land he stirred the soul of the civilized world to the atrocities of the slave trade and he made it realize that humanity may be found even in the breast of a savage when he laid down his life in the forest he loved he laid upon the altar of humanity and science the costliest and sweetest sacrifice that it had known for many a weary age what message has this life for us to-day we the commonplace the mediocre the unknown to fame and fortune shall we fold our hands when we 
read of such heroes and say ah yes he could be great but i i am weak and humble i have not the opportunity who was more humble than the poor boy spinning in the cotton mill who was less constrained by fortune's frowns than the humble missionary his life brings to us the message of doing well with that little we have we cannot all be with perry at the north pole nor die the death of the hero scott on the frozen antarctic continent it is not given to us to be explorers it is not given us to be pioneers we may not discover vast continents name great lakes nor gaze with wonder-stricken eyes upon the rolling of a mighty unknown river but to each and all of us comes the divine opportunity to carve for himself a niche be it ever so tiny in the memories of men we can heed the admonition of carlyle be no longer a chaos but a world or even a world kin produce produce were it but the pitifulest infinitesimal fraction of a product produce it in god's name tis the utmost thou hast in thee out with it then the life of service the life of unselfish giving this must livingstone's life mean to us unselfish ungrudging lavishing of life and soul even to the last drop of heart's blood service that does not hesitate because the task seems small or the waiting weary service that does not fear to be of no account in the eyes of the world truly indeed might wordsworth's apostrophe to milton be ascribed to him thy soul was like a star and dwelt apart thou hadst a voice whose sound was like the sea pure as the naked heavens majestic free so didst thou travel on life's common way in cheerful godliness and yet thy heart the lowliest duties on itself did lay End of section forty four